on with uh, the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're on the fourth Beatitude, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's begin in verse 1, however. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. When we find in Luke, when it talks about this setting, it mentions the multitudes again. It implies that it wasn't just the disciples that were hearing the Sermon on the Mount, but the multitudes of people that were following him. And so these Beatitudes are going to have uh, words that are for lost people, and they're going to have applications also to save people. And so this very first recorded message of any length, I mean, we do know the Lord preached before, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, But here we have a recorded message of the Lord and from chapter 5, 6, and 7. These are all the Lord's words. And here as he begins to open up and teach this great multitude of people, the first word that comes out of his mouth is blessed. And as we spoke in the past, that was a word that when the, in the Koine Greek, which the Bible was written in, when the Greek culture used that word, it was a happiness that was kind of beyond reach. It was a happiness that was reserved for the gods. Only they could have this great happiness. And Jesus said, no, uh, you can have an extreme happiness and a joy and a peace in your heart. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'll just review this a little bit, because some of you were in the other class when we started this, but that poor there is a very significant word. There's two words that are translated poor. One is, you know, that I'm, I'm, I have to work all the time. I have to labor for my living. I don't have a great massive wealth where I could just take a year off. But that's not this word. This word here is to be a beggar. I have no ability. I I can't take care of myself. And it's someone begging for sustenance. And so he tells us here that when we become poor in spirit, we understand that we're spiritually bankrupt then we put our place and put our lives in a place where we can be saved and the kingdom of heaven is ours. Following that, he says, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. And with this uh, understanding that you're poor in spirit and mourning over your nature mourning over who you are, what you are, that 
You're a sinner by nature and sinner by choice, that all your righteousness is filthy rags, that you can be comforted. And I remember when I was born again, I come to see that I was indeed spiritually bankrupt. It grieved me. It made me want to change. It made me cry out to God. And when I mourned and came to that place with openness and honesty before God, it says here that they're comforted. And, and immediately when I came to that place and trusted Christ as my Savior, there was a comfort that came into my life and a peace that came into my life that I never experienced anything greater than that. And then we looked at last week that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and we pointed out that meekness wasn't weakness and that meekness is a humility in relationship to the Lord and it's not the forceful ones it's not the all-powerful ones it's not those that have great armies or great influence and inherit the earth but it's going to be the children of God now in progression, as we continue on, he says in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes a statement concerning the purpose of his coming to the earth. And he says, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came that we might have true life and that we might have it abundantly. And he wants us to be fulfilled in life and to have all of life that we can. In Matthew 5, we have recorded the first message preached by Christ. And when he opened his mouth and taught them, the very first word was blessed, extremely happy. And nine times he's going to say this word and nine times he's going to give principles for the abundant life. And it's interesting, not so much what he says, but also what he doesn't say. He doesn't say happy or blessed is the man who has a bank account that's full. In fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say, Lay not up yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think that, I think that, uh, you got any more of those, Chris? I think that, uh, we get it all wrong in assuming that if we just uh, have a good bank account, that we'll be happy. And you can notice that some of the most miserable people in the world have been people that are very wealthy, but they haven't found joy and they haven't found peace. He doesn't say happy is the man who has his freezer full his shelves stocked and his closet full of clothes. 
But he says, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. And so it's not just our physical body that we should be concerned with, but it's our spiritual body. And that we ought to focus on the well-being of our soul. It's not even happy as a man who has things. Because he says in another place in the Bible that man's life consisteth not of the things which he possesses. But what he says is that the poor in spirit are blessed. They realize how they stand before God. They're bankrupt. They realize that only God can change them. Blessed are they that mourn, that can mourn over their sin. Blessed are the meek. And now today he says, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so God is trying to, in this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, so just short little sentences, but so packed full of, of meaning for, our, to, uh, for us to obtain purpose and, and happiness in life. Someday, hopefully, you and your family and all of your friends will realize that happiness is not found in places and people and things. Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book where Solomon said, go to now. <laughs> and he said, he's, he's, what profit is it for man under the sun? And Solomon's trying to figure out what's life all about? What, what's my purpose? Why am I living? What's, what's the reality of life? And he looks at the world and he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And that word vanity means an emptiness. It's kind of, I'd like to describe it as a warm breath on a cold day. That my life outside of Christ is just a warm breath on a cold day. It's there and then it's gone. And the Lord is picking up on that and adding to that. And, and he's telling us that not that we shouldn't enjoy people or places or things. And Solomon talked about how that he did enjoy those things. But in the end, they were just fleeting that the people that were your friends at one time, they're no longer here. Maybe because you've moved, maybe because they got mad at you. But if I could just have that new pickup, I'll be so happy. That brand new, you know, to get in a car and to smell that new smell. Well, they break down. And you're kicking tires. And so what is it that's going to make us happy? And we could run that forever. You know, I remember when I first came to Alaska, it was, uh, you know, to preach and pastor, and that was my life. And, but on the outside of that life, you know, I just got to catch a king salmon. <laughs> if I could just catch a king salmon, man, my life would be perfect. And I caught one. 
And uh, I've been there, done that, and, you know, I can't tell you how many fish I caught down in the Seltzer River and turned loose. And uh, it's just a, oh, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it got to be boring. But he's saying that we can have a life that can be blessed. And so, what is this he's trying to say when he says, uh, Blessed are they to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, uh, happiness cannot be centered in the things of creation, but happiness is only in our relationship to the Creator, much more greater than the creation. Because uh, all of this that we see, and there's great beauty, and we shouldn't, shouldn't go about not enjoying the beauty of creation. And in fact, God says in Romans chapter 1 that it leads us, it gives us light to lead us to Christ. But it's all going to be burned up one day. But my God and me will be forever. And so, what does he mean here about righteousness? Well, First of all, we're going to just talk about how their words to the multitude that was there. And then we'll talk about that there's also these words were to the disciples that were there. But as he speaks about righteousness, mankind is not naturally right. He's unrighteous. And when we talk about righteousness, I like to focus on that word, the, the, the word that's found in righteousness in the word right, to be righteous is to be right, to think right, and do right in relationship to God. And so we're not right with God, we're not, we don't think right, and that has to change. Righteousness is correctness in thinking and feeling and acting. And of course, man miserably fails. The Bible tells us there's none righteous no, not one. David described God looking down from heaven and is saying, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's any that understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Isaiah declares, but we're all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. I was reading, uh, I, I uh, connected to this site on the internet, it's called Berean, and uh, it's supposed to give you some uh, a devotion and some words and some in-depth studies every day. And I didn't, I did, never heard of this guy. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, what, what he's all about. And the first, the first day, it was really good. And then today, he was saying that the gospel is to go into all the world but many people haven't received the gospel. And so those who die 
without ever hearing the gospel, that the Lord is going to resurrect them and give them the gospel and they'll all be saved. But you see, mankind does not go to hell because he's not heard the gospel. Mankind goes to hell because he's a sinner, but also because he's not responding to the light that God has given him. Romans chapter 1, creation, creation speaks of God. He has some light. Romans chapter 2, he said that God has given to mankind, the Gentiles the understanding of you know, the law. They understand right and wrong. The man naturally knows what's right and what's wrong. It's a light. And as, as we respond to that light, and allow ourselves to be drawn to that light, he'll give us the gospel light. And so, it, so he says that they're without excuse, uh, knowing the creation, and that they have an inner sense of right and wrong. But the problem is this, and it, and it says in John chapter 1, that Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So every human born has light. And so it's not that he needs a second chance because he didn't hear the gospel. What the problem is, that men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. And as God draws them and they would respond, God would send a missionary to them. And, uh, and that's why it's so important to realize our missionary on the field that he's there, Brother Noah, to give light. And so I say all that to say this, that man is naturally unrighteous. To be filled, we must hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And so Jesus here is trying to tell us how our lives can be made complete, how we might obtain that which was spiritually lacking and so the word hunger and thirst speaks of uh, felt needs. A man who's gone without food and water begins to long in his body for nourishment and drink. He knows what he's missing. He longs for water to quench his thirst. He seeks food to stave his hunger. And so, to the man who's starving, the man who has no water and is and his his longing for water, he's not going to. You know, you know. So let's say, um, you know, I've. I've come out of uh, the woods, or I had no food, and I had no water, and and I, and I get to the road, and this guy comes along, and and I tell him, I'm hungry, <laughs> and I'm thirsty. You got any water? He says, No, but this is a brand new car. You want to drive it? No, I'm starving. I'm hungry. 
He says, I, I know a good strip club down here. You want to go down there and watch the girls? No! I'm hungry and I'm starving. Spiritually, we're going to have to come to a place that nothing matters except I have to have water and I have to have food. I must partake of the living water and I must partake of the abundant food, the bread of life. And I know that that could be described a description of when I was a 13-year-old boy in the spring of the year in 1963, and I came to see myself as spiritually bankrupt, and I was mourning over that, and I knew that I needed something, and I, and I hungered and thirsted for water. And as I say here, a starving man is not interested in a job interview. A starving man is not interested in gold mining or moose hunting or water skiing or any other thing but food. The thirsty man is not allured by sex or success but, or, or by fame or fortune. The very cells of his body cry out for water and food. In 1996, a young Marine corporal named Joey Mora was standing on the platform of an aircraft carrier patrolling the Iranian Sea. Incredibly, he fell overboard. His absence was not known for 36 hours. A search and rescue mission began, but was given up after another 24 hours. No one could survive in the sea without even a life jacket after 60 hours. His parents were notified that he was missing and presumed dead. The rest of the story is one of those truth is stranger than fiction events. Script writers would pass it up as not believable. Four Pakistani fishermen found Joey Moore about 72 hours after he had fallen from the aircraft carrier. He was treading water in his sleep, clinging to a makeshift flotation, makeshift flotation device made from his trousers, a skill learned in most military survival training. He was delirious when they pulled him into their fishing boat. His tongue was dry and cracked, and his throat was parched. Just about two years later, as he spoke with Stone Phillips on NBC Dateline, he recounted an unbelievable story of will to live and survival. He would not give up. He said it was God who kept him struggling to survive. He discovered by the fisherman makes, the discovery by the fisherman makes searching for a needle in a haystack a piece of cake. The most excruciating thing of all, Joyce said, that the one thought that took over his body and pounded in his brain was water. You see, we live in a day when a, a, a gospel message is preached and, and people are encouraged, uh, come on down and be saved. Come on down and have your life made better. Come on down and receive Jesus as though he's waiting over here with his hand, his hat in his hand, and he's waiting to be received. Well, salvation is understanding that I am bankrupt 
There's nothing that I have to present to the Lord. I mourn over that. I, 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 uh, I, 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 that brings me to a state of meekness. And there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. The deal is, we, oftentimes salvation is presented as uh, you can be made better. But salvation is not about being made better. It's a, it's a result of that. But what we need to have is we need to be, be made right. And that can only take place when my sins have been forgiven. Only, only God can make me right. And so we need to be careful, you know, come to, in, in the 1960s, which is ancient history for most of you, it was, we had the Jesus people movement, the hippies. And uh, they said, come to Jesus and you'll uh, have a high that you'll never come down from. But it wasn't, it wasn't about going to him. I mean, the, salvation is about being made right. And I hunger for righteousness. And I thirst for righteousness. It's something that I can't obtain myself, that I need to be made right. You see, the problem today is men, though dying spiritually, they don't hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. In life, starving men have eaten rats. Starving men have eaten insects. And starving men have eaten other men. There was a sports team died in the Andes back in the 60s and they ended up having to eat each other. They were desperate. You gotta be desperate to eat somebody. That's gross and you probably shouldn't talk about that. But when I become convicted of my sin and I knew that that very day God could rightly send me to hell. I became desperate. And so this is a way spiritually it must be. I must come to understand spiritually I'm a dying man in desperate need of bread and water. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so I must long for the righteousness of God. To come to God longing for the wrong thing is not blessed. It's those that are hunger and thirst after righteousness, not after happiness but after righteousness. I must come to God not to be made happy, not so I'll be blessed, not so I'll get a religious high, but we must come to God to be made right. 
because spiritually everything about me before I'm saved is wrong. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so as we've pointed out, there's no, there's no interest in uh, the joys of life and possessions of life when you're dying of hunger and thirst. The story is told of a young student who went to a spiritual teacher and asked the question, Master, how can I truly find God? The teacher asked the student to accompany him to the river, which ran by the village, and invited him to go into the water. When they got to the middle of the stream, the teacher said, please immerse yourself in the water. The student did as he was instructed, and whereupon the teacher put his hands on the young man's head and held him under the water. Presently, the student began to struggle. The master held him under still. A moment passed, and the student was thrashing and beating the water, and air was in his, and, and air with his arms. Still, the master held him under the water. Finally, the student was released and shot up from the water, his lungs aching and gasping for air. The teacher waited for a few moments and then said, "When you desire God as truly as you desire the breath, the air you just breathe, then He shall find God." You see, sometimes when we're dealing with people about salvation, we uh, jump a step that's absolutely necessary. We want to, we want to immediately say, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But if there's not a desperateness about him, if there's not an understanding about my sinful nature, if there's not an understanding why I need to be saved, if there's not an understanding that I am not right, then uh, we need to make sure that's there first. And it has to come... You know, some kind of a desire that I've got to be made right today. I've got to be made right with the Lord today. All I can relate to is what the Bible says in my own experience, but I felt very sure <laughs> that if I didn't do business with God on that day, I could go straight to hell. And rightly so. Today is the day of salvation. Now in that, I think we need to, down to point D on the third page, we need to understand that being made righteous costs a great deal. Second Corinthians says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Christ became sin that we might be made righteous. And one of the ways that I like to illustrate that is basically when we're talking to men in prison is that there's a great gulf fixed between man and God. And what causes that gulf between man and God is sin. Man tries to build a platform out here of good works. He begins to tithe. Many different things, but it all falls short. Jesus came along, and what spans this gap Sin separates us, but Christ, the eye is in Christ, pointing out that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so it's going to be obtained, not by our works, but by faith. If thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. At that point, we're going to be filled with the presence of God. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst, hungering and thirsting. All right. On the back page, that these words must hunger and thirst after righteousness can also apply to you and I that are saved. He didn't say blessed are those who are full of righteousness, but those who hunger and thirst And it's in the continual sense that after I'm saved, you know, it doesn't give me a license. Once saved, always saved. And so I can just go and do whatever I want to do and I'll still be saved. But the point is, if I'm truly saved, I don't want to go do whatever I want to do. And if I'm truly saved, there ought to be a desire in my heart to live righteously. And the longer that I'm away from the house of God and the word of God and around, absent from being around the people of God, it can begin to affect my daily living. I'm not going to lose my salvation because when I'm born into the family, I'm going to be in the family. But it can affect my life. And I know when I went off to college, secular college and was away from the preaching of the word of God 
that there was a lack of righteousness in my life. And so we ought to hunger and thirst after that. And, and one of the examples of that, if you go over to Exodus chapter 33, here's Moses. Moses had seen the ten plagues of Egypt. Moses had experienced the burning bush and, and big, the birth declaring that he is the I am. Moses saw the Red Sea part and the children of Israel being able to escape from Pharaoh's army and how the Red Sea came back together and the horse and the rider fell into the sea. He saw manna in the wilderness and he saw God provide water out of the rock, the pillar and the cloud. He saw the Shekinah glory. But now, in Exodus 33, in verse 14, and he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. God speaking to Moses. And he said unto him, If thou presence do not, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. For wherein shall it be known here that I, I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the Lord or the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, that I may know that, and I know thee by name. And so he said, Moses, we're going to, I'm going to go with you. My presence will be with you. I'll watch over the children of Israel. You're going to be known in the earth. And how did Moses respond to that? He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He wanted more. And here's a question we're going to ask maybe a couple of times here. And it's a very probing question for me. Are you satisfied? You know, someone says, do you want some more roast beef? No, I'm satisfied. You need any more to drink? No, I'm good, I'm satisfied. But he's saying spiritually, we should not ever be satisfied. Are you satisfied? Have you arrived? Have I arrived? After 40 years in the ministry, have I finally arrived to where I'm spiritually okay? Have we lost our hunger for God? Amen or oh me. Look at the example of David in Psalms 42. 
David was a saved man. And David says in Psalms 42, verse 1, As a heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That David wanted more. He wanted more and more of a relationship with the Lord. His soul, though saved, was thirsting for God. Look in Psalm 63. In Psalm 63, David says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And early in the morning, he wanted to experience God. To see thy power and thy glory so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul falleth hard after thee. My right hand upholdeth me. Here's a man who said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think we can sometimes gauge how much we've pursued God as a child of God when uh, our soul begins to want. And then look at the example of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. It doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He said, I, everything I have, I give up. That I might have the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, from whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, garbage, horse manure that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him. I mean, Paul, if Paul you know, Paul said one time that when I was shipwrecked, that God stood by him. He, he knew the presence of God in his life. And now as he writes to the Philippians, he says, I want to know him. No more of him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being more made conformable to his death. Let me ask you and me again. Are you satisfied where you're at? 
Well, sadly, sometimes we are. And may God uh, forgive us. Moses was never satisfied. David's thirsted for more of God, and Paul's prayer was that he may know him. In our spirits, have we experienced a hunger, an uneasiness, a thirsting for Christ, and have drawn nigh to him? It shouldn't be night. And come away satisfied. His well never runs dry. His spiritual food never lacks. And we get back to wanting to fill our lives with creation, wanting to fill our lives with things, events, people, places. If I can just go there and experience that, and over there, you know, like if I can see the different things of the world, One man wrote, people are really after happiness, but the dusty earth is where they look for it. The number of amusements in our society always amazes me. Now, I'm not against Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm and all the rest, but our life is so full of amusements and entertainment possibilities, and we're like a man with a painful disease who just wants to be relieved of the pain and doesn't want to be bothered with the cause. This has become true even in the church. Many Christians, after some kind of, or many Christians are after some kind of ecstasy, ecstatic. Uh, they want an experience, a spiritual feeling. People run to seminars and conferences and counselors trying to get some spiritual trip. But that is not what they're to seek. They try to find happiness without facing the fact that happiness is a byproduct of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Well, just last fall I taught these lessons in... Um, and uh, Nilchik, when Pastor Lambert was gone, I filled in for him. And maybe 15 years ago, I taught him. But every time I teach them, they're more and more convicting. You see, we sell out for just a pottage of lentil beans like Jacob's brother did. When we can know him personally. And what I find is that when I try to seek purpose and meaning and fulfillment in people and places and things, I come away thirsty and hungry.
The food they give me has no nutrients in it. It's like when I worked on the railroad in the heat of the day and 900 degrees when I was young in life. And if somebody comes along and they say, hey, I, here, I got a 7-Up for you. And you drink that and you're still, <clears throat> you know, yuck. But somebody gives you their canteen of water and there's nothing like water for thirst. God wants to fill us with happiness. But it's a byproduct of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Say, man, he's preaching to us. Listen, Sunday school class was never meant to be entertaining. But it's meant to be real. And we need to make the priority the priority. All right? You're dismissed.